it's crazy that I've gotten a lot of comments like, wow, you grew overnight. Like, how did you do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no. What you don't see is that I tried to start a travel blog in literally 2015. I'd been posting on Instagram since 2014, like trying to grow some kind of travel audience. Meanwhile, I was working for other travel bloggers and learning all of this stuff. So while it might seem like, oh, wow, how did she do this in like a month's time? There was so many years where I made zero money doing anything related to my own travel blog. And now is the first time in the past six months where I've seen any income from it. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavsky, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-independent entrepreneurs, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Raimi Yaisofano, or as you may know her on social media, Raimi Travels. Raimi has been working remotely for the past six years in roles related to content, social media marketing, writing, and video production. She has worked for the hugely popular blog Nomadic Matt, helped create the My Travel Journal with Matt Kepnes himself, and currently works as the head of content for Anami, where she helps empower young adults with the important information they need to navigate adulthood through creator-led educational content. Raimi is also a popular travel and remote work content creator herself with over 20,000 followers on Instagram and over 130,000 followers on TikTok. And during this episode, she shared the story of how she landed her job working for Nomadic Matt, how to build a remote career and stand out from the competition, and how to balance work while traveling around the world. Two things before we jump into the interview. Number one, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider, all one word. And number two, I'd like to invite you to join our TRL listener Slack channel, which you can find at thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. In the Slack channel, you'll be able to have direct contact with me, meet other listeners of this show passionate about the future of work, the digital nomad lifestyle, and entrepreneurship. And we'll also be putting together events and Q&As with some of our biggest podcast guests to dive in even deeper with them. Access to the Slack channel is completely free. And again, that link is thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. Finally, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to the podcast. I would really, really appreciate that. You can also leave a review by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and leave your review there. It only takes a minute and I would really, really appreciate it. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Remy Yaisafano. All right, Ramey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Nice to have you here. Yes, I'm so excited to chat. This is going to be fun. 
Yeah, so uh, I've been following you on Instagram for like forever now because uh, background for people who are listening, uh, you and my wife are very good friends. You're both from Michigan. And then we were like, oh my God, we have a remote work friend who's from Michigan. Uh, so it's been awesome to to follow your travels uh, over the years. And I'm very excited to have you on here because you talk a lot about travel and remote work and you've been doing so even before COVID just as we have. So I'm very excited uh, to have you on here. Yes, I'm so excited. I I met Sarah, your wife, like, I don't even know, 2014. And both her and I had just started kind of getting into the remote workspace back then. Maybe it was 2015. But either way, yeah, it was way before the pandemic. And I remember meeting up with her in a coffee shop in Detroit. And we were both kind of talking about finding clients and going on Upwork and Fiverr to like start building (laughs) our remote work portfolios. And it's just so crazy to see how far both her and I have come since then. So that's actually a really good place to start. This is a question I've been asking a lot of guests recently um, because I've just happened to have had guests recently who have been remote before COVID. And the question is, what made you confident in actually looking for a remote job? What made you confident in investing time in building a remote career before COVID? Because for those who don't remember uh, or who weren't in this space before COVID, getting a remote job before COVID was kind of like, what are you doing? You're throwing mm-hmm. your life away. Uh, you know, you're never going to get the best jobs that way because the idea was like, well, we, there is no way that you're going to get the most opportunity doing that. So what gave you the confidence or the like, why invest your time in getting a remote career? Yeah, I love that question because I it does seem almost like the norm now. I mean, a lot of people are going back into the office, but I, yeah, at the time people thought I was absolutely crazy. I actually was working a full-time corporate marketing job in Detroit, Michigan in office. And I just, I remember being so burnt out, confused about what I wanted to do. I hated waking up and going into this office building every day and staring out at a parking lot from the windows every day. And I just knew that there was something more I could be doing. Mm. At that point, I had traveled a little bit. I'd studied abroad. I had interned abroad. And I was like, there has to be a way to do both. Like, There has to be a way for me to work and travel and see the world and do all of the things I want to do without necessarily being like a travel blogger because that never really felt super realistic for me. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but I just knew there was a way to do both. And I I don't even know if I thought remote work was a thing. I just knew that I could start freelancing. And that was like my intro into remote work being a possibility was actually just doing little small freelance projects here and there. And I think the way that I just got the confidence about it was getting that first job that I could completely do at my computer, getting the first like paycheck from literally writing a blog post for someone's random website. And I was like, oh, if I continue and repeat this process, I'll be able to make enough to leave my office job. And when that day finally did come, I do remember one of my coworkers, an older woman, telling me that I would regret leaving the job and that and that I was crazy and would never be able to make a full-time living doing it. So that's funny because I'm sure she probably still works there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny because I had a very similar experience where, you know, for me, 
it was the fact that I grew up in Bulgaria. And so this idea, like I moved to the United States when I was 10. So I had a, like a very distinct memory of what it was like to live somewhere else and like be completely immersed in a different culture. And I just could not imagine myself like, oh, I'm just going to hang out in Cincinnati, Ohio for the rest of my life. This yeah. idea was just, this concept was just something that I always felt very foreign to me. And so I was like, there must be some way. And that's, I heard like, I talk about it as like, the Pandora's box moment for me was like hearing the term digital nomad because you type that into Google and then all these stories, you know, this was 2014, 15. So at that time, that was already something that was being done. And so I was like, oh my God, people are doing this. And you almost know there's some sort of model to follow. Yeah. And I've talked about this with my friend Dan before from the Tropical MBA about how at that time, you almost had to be an entrepreneur. Like you had to be a freelancer. Exactly. You had to build your own business. Now there's all this opportunity with having an actual like remote job and all that kind of stuff that at that time was not that it didn't exist, but it was really, really rare. It wasn't. You usually have to, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you usually have to sacrifice a lot to get it right. Uh, you know, like even to this day, a lot of people talk about, well, should remote workers earn less? Like sh should you, if you want to build a remote career, should you be okay with getting paid less? Actually, that's a good question. How do you feel about that? Like, yeah. um, I know you you talk a lot about, you know, transparency and work and like salary transparency, this kind of stuff. So like, how do you feel about that topic? Like, should remote workers earn less? Should people be willing to take a pay cut to get a remote job? Ooh, that is so interesting. I, I We definitely should chat on that because... I think, you know, a lot of companies now too are doing salaries based on where you live. And if you're a remote worker and let's say maybe you're living in Portugal on a digital nomad visa, should the company pay you less because you have a lower cost of living there potentially than you would in, say, San Francisco? I personally am always of the mindset that like the same job should get paid the same amount no matter where you are. Like if you're doing software engineering, in Lisbon and you get paid, you know, the same as you should get paid the same as you would in San Francisco. You're doing the same job. So I, I don't know. I, I understand that like maybe you can have a lower cost of living as a remote worker. I mean, for one, you don't have to pay to put gas in your car and commute to work every day. You don't even necessarily have to have a car. I don't have a car because I don't have to go into an office. So like there are a bunch of life expenses that I don't have. But at the same time, I'm doing the same job as someone else. Like, I just think we should all be paid a fair amount based on the work that we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And here's why. My question is always, does the value you create for that company change because you live somewhere else? Right. Exactly. So I'm I'm a big believer in like, it doesn't matter how much time you spend working. It's about how much value do you create for the company? And yes. I really agree with, you know, Liam Martin from Time Doctor, where they have this really great uh, concept within the company, which is if you can get your job done in half the time, that's great. But it's your responsibility to teach everyone else what you've learned and how you're able to get it done in half the time so everyone else can reap the benefits. Right. Amazing. And so I agree with that in terms of like it's the value that matters. So the value of that you create at the company going from point A to B to C does not really change. The other thing that actually Ken Weary brought up uh, when he was on the podcast recently, he's the COO of Hotjar, is it actually creates a lot of complexity within the company in terms of taxes. If so you are much. changing, yeah, like where you live and how does that 
you know, like I know Buffer actually changes the salary to, or maybe used to, I need to look into if they still do this. As employees move from one city to the other, they'll actually change their salary. And I've always thought about like, what is the like overhead and the complexity that you're creating if you have to like change people's salary and how does that affect taxation? I just think it's so much, it's so unnecessary. Adding the extra layer, like at the end of the day, how much, you know, it, it's not going to make, it's going to add more of a headache than it's worth. So yeah. Absolutely. So people probably, I mean, like I definitely know you, or at least I became introduced to you a lot as someone who used to work for a nomadic mat, right? Like we, a lot, probably most people here listening are familiar with who nomadic Matt is, have read the blog, have follow him, or at least know who he is. How did you end up getting that job? Because I imagine here's why I'm, uh, a, it sounds like it would be a cool job, right? Working for one of the biggest travel bloggers. But also B, the reason I'm asking that is I'm sure him having the level of publicity that he has, there were probably a lot of people who were you were competing with to get that job. So how did you end up getting that job? And what do you think you did that made you stand out to get that job? Yes, I love telling this story because it is a bit of a crazy one. And working for Nomadic Matt was actually my very first full-time remote job. Um, I had benefits. I had a salary. You know, it was after I started doing the little freelance projects. So the way that it all transpired, um, he had, I had been following Matt for years as someone who was interested in the travel space. Um, And when I was graduating from Michigan State University, shout out, go green, um they just so, had a tough loss i know so, well uh, yeah. i actually don't know because i don't watch sports oh, okay <laughs> i don't either it's just my yeah. father-in-law does and he's a big michigan fan it was a big deal oh, uh, he was happy yeah, about yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but i was i the last week of my graduation i my mom tagged me in a facebook post that matt had put up about hiring for a community manager role and, and were you following him at the time? I was following him at the time, but like my mom was more closely following him. And she tagged me like, Rami, you should apply. And, you know, I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm graduating. And this is my dream job. I have to get this job. And I, you know, so I saw it. I applied on the website just like everyone else would have. And then I also went to the Facebook post that he created about the job. And I wrote this huge paragraph about why it was my dream job, which looking back is kind of embarrassing. But I ended up getting to the like final round of interviews with him from doing all of this extra thing. I think I sent an email too with like paragraphs about why I wanted this job. I still have the email. I should post it on my story um, when we post about this podcast because it is very cringe. Um, But 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 funny story is so I get to the final round of the interview and I didn't get the job. I did not get the job with Matt. They hired someone else and I was devastated. Of course, I was like, oh my gosh, that was my dream job. I could have traveled and done what I want to do. Right. And so I, that's when I got my corporate marketing job in Detroit, staring out at a parking lot, wishing that I had gotten this job with Mm. Matt. Um, 
So I actually was very, I was so upset about it that I unfollowed him on everything. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not reading his blog anymore. Screw this I, guy. He's a terrible yeah, travel blogger. Like, yeah. But, but looking back, I was fresh out of college. I didn't have that much experience. I had done a couple, you know, internships. They went with someone with more experience at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I unfollowed him on everything. And this is, this is where the story gets really weird because obviously I did end up working for him. So the job I had gotten at this corporate marketing agency in Detroit, I got promoted to start doing their social media instead of just their Google search ads, which is what I originally started my career doing was paid Google search ads. Um, I got promoted to start doing social media paid stuff. And as a part of that promotion, they were sending me to Austin, Texas for like a month long integration thing where I was gonna learn all of this stuff about paid social. And when I was in Austin, my mom, again, thank, thank you, mom, she tagged me in something that Matt was doing a meetup there. And she was like, you should go. Like, it's been a year and a half, you know, meet some other travel people there. And I was over it at that point. I was like, okay, right, whatever. I'm going to, I'll go, I'll meet him in person and, you know, see what happens. And so I go to this like book signing event, I think it was for one of his books at the time and met up with him there, was like, hey, do you remember me? You interviewed me like a year and a half ago. And he was like, yeah, actually, what are you doing now? And I was like, well, I'm doing social media stuff now and I have all this new experience. So if you ever need anyone down the line, like, let me know. And so we kind of kept in contact then. I became friends with his um, number two, Erica Vervo, which if people follow me. I know Erica. Yeah, Erica's amazing. So I kind of became friendly with her at that event. And I just kept following up with them every couple months. I would be like, hey, if you need help with your Pinterest marketing, I see that you're not doing much with it. And I think I could help. And, you know, I wouldn't really get a response, but I think it was third time's a charm. I responded to some ad they did like on Facebook and I was like, hey, I think I could make this better if you need someone to do paid Facebook ads for you. And finally, Matt gave in to my pestering and said that he would hire me part time to do their Pinterest and paid Facebook ad marketing. And I was like, okay, I'm in like, I'm going to do this part time on top of my full-time job and I'm just going to make it work. I'm going to turn this into a full-time job. And the person they ended up hiring instead of me the first time around left the job. And then I was there working part-time and it turned into full-time and the rest is history. <laughs> it's a long story, but it was chance, partly chance and partly just pursuing it like relentlessly. <laughs> You know what I like about that story a lot is, and this is something we've talked about a lot about in the podcast, is a lot of people talk about how because remote work is now kind of like the so mainstream, you have the opportunity to do whatever you want. Like you can work, you know, from companies all over the world and how amazing that is because you have so much more opportunity at your fingertips. But the truth is that this the it's true the other way as well in terms of like anyone can apply for anything right so it's not just you kind of now have to compete with a much wider pool of people and you almost have to be very specific in terms yeah. of like i want this job or i want to be in this industry and i'm gonna like 
sort of like build my moat in this like world. And I love that you kind of did that, you know, even then saying like, I'm going to work for Nomadic Matt. Yeah. I was niching down before that was like a thing to do. And I, yeah, I really had my, I don't even know if I've relentlessly pursued anything since that because I was just so determined to make that my job when I was also miserable in my corporate job. And I just saw that as like, this is my connection in, like this is supposed to happen and yeah, part-time turned to full-time. And then I worked with them for almost four years. So so following up in this topic, in this direction, one of the things that I believe, this is going to be a two-part question. So I'm not supposed to ask two-part questions as a good podcaster, but sometimes I do <laughs> um, as a good podcaster. Um, so one of the things that I think is really important in today's world in terms of work is personal branding. So that's something that we've heard a lot about in terms of entrepreneurship, but I think it's becoming way more important for anyone who wants to get a job because anyone can apply for any job. And so if you want to be the person that stands out, you almost have to be able to put your flag up in some way, kind of like get in front of people, showcase, you know, really have like a brand that you're the person for that job. Mm -hmm. The first part of the question is, do you agree with that? And then the second part of the question is, if you do agree with that, what are your tips for people to do that? Because I think you've done that really, really well in terms of content and the way that you've kind of married that with travel and just the kind of jobs that you've done for Nomadic Matt and since then. And so I'm kind of curious, like, A, do you agree with that thesis? And B, what would be your tips for people to do that? Yes, I definitely, definitely agree. And I have two main tips for it. But I I agree first off, just because I think that is, like you mentioned, it's one of the things that can help you stand out in this sea of people now who are applying for these remote jobs. And like you said, it makes you the perfect fit for it if you know how to do it. And I think I subconsciously was doing that with the mat job and even my current job, which we can touch on too, because I now, you know, again, have a full-time remote job. And I think I got it because of my personal branding. Um, But my first like advice piece to anyone who wants to do this, and this is a very simple way in my mind, is to create an online portfolio. I use Squarespace because it's so easy. And a step further from just creating that website where you can put forth maybe examples of your work, a little bit about you. I actually, I think I did do this for the Matt job, but I created like a mock campaign for what I would do as the social media manager for him. I created like mock graphics and a whole like idea for a campaign that I wanted to see them implement and directed them to the website to be like, hey, here's more about me on my portfolio site. I also linked, you know, this example campaign of my thoughts around this. And that might seem a bit extra, but like I really wanted this job. And, you know, I that I credit like relentlessly doing stuff like that to it. And it, looking back, it doesn't take that much time. Like Squarespace makes it so easy. If you're really interested in the role, like have fun with it. And if anything, if you don't get the job, that's another piece for your portfolio. Because a lot of people will say, well, I don't have experience, you know, how can I have a portfolio if I've never done this before? Create fake projects. Like 
it's not a big deal to say, yeah, you know, I didn't actually work for Nomadic Map, but this is a project that I did in pursuit of a role. You know what I mean? Like you can make fake projects and it's the same thing as it would be creating a real project. So fake it till you make it, baby. (laughs) Yeah. I love the idea of doing something like that and sort of like showing that you can do what you're saying that you want to do or like the job that you're getting hired for. There's this book called a hundred million dollar offer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's by a guy named Alex Hermosi. But one of the things that he talks about in there in terms of sales is like, you can make sales more easily if you can make your offer as risk-free as possible. And so I think that that goes, you know, follows the same ideas. If you know, how can you make you getting hired as risk-free as possible for that job, right? Is like, and showing that you can do the thing that you're getting hired to do reduces the risk um, of hiring. So I think that's really important. I also think just doing ways of, you know, getting in front of those people or making sure that you're not just one of those, another resume that's hit their desk and kind of standing out is really important. Like I always tell people is like, start a podcast. It's so easy to do interview the person who's like, you know, interview the the sort of like companies that you want to work for. And it's just like such an easy way to be one step ahead, you know, and it's so, so easy. I love that. That's your podcast is essentially like your version of a portfolio and it shows you know, it shows your personality. It shows that you can manage this type of work, that you can create something. Obviously, it depends on the role you want, but some kind of project portfolio that really, yeah, eliminates the risk for the buyer who's buying you as an employee. <laughs> yeah, I've even, um, there's even, oh my gosh, his name is escaping me right now. Uh, the founder of AppSumo. I really like his stuff and his name just, uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Noah Kagan. He's friends Noah with yeah. he's friends with Matt, actually. Matt has a ton of entrepreneur friends. And yeah. yeah, I know Noah. He's great. Yeah. So I like what Noah Kagan from AppSumo did because I've heard him talk about um, the way he got his job at Mint was that he kind of walked in there and said, hey, if I can't hit this, like hire me on to do your marketing. And if I can't hit this goal, and I'm paraphrasing the story here, if I can't hit this goal, I'll quit. You don't have to fire me. I'll just walk out. And it's sort of like, okay, like you've, <laughs> you know, really reduced our risk here, you know? So I, yeah. I even like something like that. If you And that takes a certain personality to do that. But if you're in a position to do something like that, what better way to, you know, reduce the risk for that company than to kind of do a trial run, essentially. Yeah, I love that. When I was applying for my current job, I sent the CEO a email directly that straight up said, hi, I'm the content manager that you've been looking for. Here's Mm -hmm. what I can do. Here's what I've done in the past. And here's what I would do for your startup. And then immediately he responded like, okay, yeah, we want to talk to you. And it was as simple as sending that very confident direct email and linking some of my previous work. And yeah, that's how I got this job. You know, what's interesting though, is like, I know some people who wouldn't like that. So I think it just depends on like your personality and what you think that company would like, because, um, my friend, Andrew Henderson, who's been a past guest on this podcast, he, uh, he runs a big company called Nomad Capitalist, but he just shared on LinkedIn that somebody did that where they were hiring for a position. And instead of this person going through the route, actually like tracked down his email somehow and emailed him saying like, Hey, I want this job. And he put it up on LinkedIn. A lot of, yeah. And a lot of people were saying like, actually it's, 
Go That's ahead. not asked for. If he didn't, okay, so preface the job that I applied for, they did ask for an email direct or like mm-hmm. they put their email there, like send us your resume yeah. directly as part. Of, but it, yeah, if you like kind of creep down and do it, I don't know. There's there's better but, ways to do that. <laughs> I think, I just think there's no right or wrong here because it also shows like, hey, I can track down your email. And that takes Listen. some. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Some initiative, some skill set. So it just depends yeah. on the job as well. And there's a lot of like. What did he uh, say about why he didn't like it? He was more putting it up as like, what do you think about this? Like, is this like a go getter, you know, really great hire? Or is this somebody who doesn't respect privacy and like whatever? And I kind of <laughs> lean towards like, you know, this person did something outside of the box and isn't like, you know, willing to like wait in line, which I think there's like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't really get what you want in life if you just wait in line and like, you know, you, you don't. don't. Yeah, exactly. So, but there were a lot of people who were like, you know, this doesn't respect the, you know, way of doing things. Which I'm like, we're working remotely. The reason why we're working remotely is because we don't respect the way things are being done. <laughs> yeah. Um, So yeah. how do you, I'm curious about, you obviously travel a lot. You have a full-time job. You also do things on the side as, as, as far as I know. You also are traveling. How do you balance that? Because that's definitely something that you need to develop as, as like a skill set. So how, yeah, how do you balance that? Like, what are some of the tips that you've learned? What are some of the things that you've had to develop over time just to make sure that, you know, your work isn't suffering? Yeah, I love that. I, for a long time, when I first started working remotely, I was so excited by the ability to go and work from wherever that I bounced around from location to location, I I think like every week or even sooner than that, I would go, I did a whole backpacking while working remotely across Europe when I first started. And I was moving around like every three days, which at first was extremely exciting. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this work. And I just remember like the first month in, I was so overwhelmed because that was too much movement. And I thought that I could handle all of it. But with my first time remote job, that was just way too much. I didn't know how to time block at that point. I didn't know how to like properly, you know, manage my time while also wanting to see the world. So the way that I like to do it now is spending extended amounts of time in one place while working remotely. And I know you and Sarah do that. And I think that's the best way to do it for many reasons, but also, you know, not only does it help you stay on top of your work a lot better in my experience, um, but also you really, really get to know a place and Mm -hmm. develop a community in a place, which is something that you are a little bit lacking in the remote workspace. I think, you know, sometimes you do feel isolated. Sometimes, you know, you might be on video calls with your coworkers, but if you're moving around every three days, you can't really establish much of a community And even if it's a temporary community for like a month or so in a place, I feel like that's something that's needed, at least for me, because I I do like making connections and having, you know, somewhere to go after work and talk to people. So I think doing it that way where you're spending more extended amounts of time in a place has really, really helped me. And then also using, you mentioned Time Doctor earlier. I actually worked freelance for them for a little bit. Um, And I used tools like Time Doctor and Toggle to just really track my hours, first of all, which is so, so helpful, and see where I was spending time so that I could balance travel and working because it's a lot. 
Yeah, I feel like remote workers, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working for a company, one of the really important skills that you need to learn is this like self-management because when you're working at a corporate job in office, which by the way, I have no room to talk about because I've never had an office job. Um, but I feel like there's somebody like you have the feeling that somebody's watching what you're doing. Totally. So someone else is managing your time, which is not what you want. You want to own your time, but you almost need to like learn the skill to how, how do you own your time? How do you manage your time and make sure that you can get all the things done for me? It's, um, I don't know if you know Jay Klaus. He's a past guest on the podcast. He has a, got a great podcast and a great um, uh, a great community for creators. But one of the things that he said that made me really jealous, and I was kind of like, I don't understand what you mean. Is he said, I have this really good skill set of knowing exactly how long something's gonna take me, and I was like, that's I'm that's so jealous of that. Yeah, can he make an app for that? <laughs> right, because I was like, I don't understand how, like, because I'm like, this is going to take an hour and then it takes three hours. Or, you know, like, I just don't have, like, I didn't have a good way of doing this. And I think almost like what I did is, and I'm still in the process of doing this, is like, so if anyone it, it, it like relates to this, here's what I've been doing to fix that. And I'd love to hear your opinion on this is I've been trying to call my shot and tracking it. So like, if I think this blog post is going to take me an hour to write, I will write it down. It's going to take me an hour to do. And then if it takes two, I'm like, okay, I called my shot. I missed the shot. Why did I miss it? Do I need to adjust and almost keeping track of how long do different types of tasks take me so that then when I plan out my week, I know that I'm putting enough time away for them and kind of like know that I have like a better grasp over my planning. I don't know if you've done something similar or, you know, you've had a similar experience with like figuring out how to like plan your week ahead in that way. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I feel like for me, that's kind of when I started doing time blocking, which I mean, I'm sure people on this podcast are familiar with, but that's how I really started to get into like managing my day as a remote worker is saying from the hours between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m., I'm just going to be writing content for whatever client I was or whatever job I had. Um, and I did, I sectioned out my day based on like my flow zones, which basically just means you know yourself and you know when you work best. And like for me, I write way better in the morning than I do in the afternoon because by 3 p.m., I'm like, I need to just do the little remedial tasks. So I would structure my day in that way that kind of fit with how I knew I worked best. But I love what you're saying about, you know, going back and kind of seeing, okay, if this took me longer, why did it take me longer? And the reason for me most of the time would be because I started scrolling on social media or I like opened a browser and started online shopping and like checking myself on that and being like, you know, I could actually get this done so much quicker if I just you know, powered through or took like a five minute break to do that instead of getting distracted. That is, you know, that is key. So I love the calling your shot and fixing it based on what you're doing, you know? So let's, um, you know, you mentioned a kind of like how you structure your day. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Like what does an average day or average week look like for you working remotely, um, you know, at your, at your current job? And like just kind of, I think a lot of people are curious about if they're remote workers already, I know I'm curious about this is like, am I doing enough? Like, <laughs> am I, am I as productive as other remote workers? Right. Because when you're in an office, you can kind of peek over and see like, oh, okay, you know, I'm as productive as them I'm getting just as much done, but I'm curious about kind of like 
how much do you work, how do you structure your day, so on and so forth. Yes. You made a good point earlier about how it's not about the hours you work. It's whether you get the work done. And I am mm-hmm. such a huge proponent of that mindset because do I work eight hours every single day? I mean, I hope my job isn't listening to this, but <laughs> no, I don't. I don't work eight hours fully every single day. That is just, no. And to be honest, people with desk jobs probably aren't working yeah. eight hours a day. We just, as remote workers, have the freedom to use that extra time to, to how, however we want. Um, so, you know, to answer your question about how I structure my day, I have like weekly meetings every week that I know I have to attend at certain hours. But the rest of the time, I have like my priority checklist for the week that I check in with my team on Mondays and Thursdays on. We do like a morning check-in on Mondays. What are you doing this week? Um, We kind of all agree on the main tasks and then I'll structure those out throughout the week. Um, Like I said, if I have writing tasks, which I do every single week, I do those from 9 to 11 a.m. now. And then I structure everything else, like the little organizational tasks for the afternoon. So those are kind of like the two, you know, there's a million different things that go on in each of those categories. But like for me, my main work time is the morning and then the little remedial tasks, organizational stuff is always in the afternoon for me. And just keeping on track with those to-do lists and checking in with my team, that that has helped immensely. Yeah, that's exactly how I structure my day too. And I'll do calls like after lunch because usually calls from your podcast episodes like we're doing now, like get my energy up. And, you know, I kind of like use it as like a little like boost in that way because otherwise after like one or two o'clock i'm like oh you know like i, I, I start uh no, i'll definitely get a boost, a boost from it for me right now it's 2 p.m this is like a perfect way for me to go into the next round of things i have to do so getting a little meta tell me about how your company works like how many uh is everyone remote how many employees do you guys have like just what does the company look like and, and what do you guys do yeah. So my company now is called Onomy.co, just Onomy, but that's our website. Um, and we are a creator-led educational platform that teaches you all of the things you wish you learned in school through like short form, fun video content. And we partner with a lot of finance creators, career creators, um, travel creators even to talk about these things that you grow up and you wish someone told you (laughs) like filing taxes or you know the boring stuff but we make it fun um and we're all remote we're a startup right now um we're very much in like the growth phase currently our employees a lot of us are based in los angeles because that's where some of the production for all these courses take place but we also had people in new york city denver Um, We have some people working for us that are currently in the Philippines. We have people that are working in South America right now. We have a lot of freelancers that we work with on top of the full-time people. Um, And yeah, our freelancers are all over the place. Um, Mm. One of them is in Guatemala right now. She's working from there. So it's very much, you know, like a global effort. Um, But yeah, it's a balance between full-time and freelance employees. Yeah, I I love this concept of like 
teaching what school didn't teach you because there's just so many things that we didn't learn in school that are so important. And I'm always like, this is like prime thing that I should have known in school. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like how yeah. to do your taxes and how to, you know, like balance your, uh, not checkbook, but like how to like figure out your finances and whatnot. It's so, so important. Yeah. I know you've written before about the importance of networking uh, and kind of like how important that was in you getting your job. Let's talk a little bit about that and the kind of like how you approach and especially in like a remote work setting, because I think networking to people who are trying to get, you know, an in-person job kind of makes sense. Like I'm going to show up and, you know, talk with people face to face and like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, meet other people. And there's usually like a location you can travel to and do that. But how do you do it remotely? How do, how do you approach it uh, when, when trying to find a remote job? Love that. I've also, I mean, I got a lot of my remote jobs from networking in person and online. So I'll talk about both. And then I've also hired people who have networked with me online, really. I actually haven't met a lot of my coworkers because we met online. But mm. the, I'll, yeah, first I'll touch on the in-person thing because even though we're remote working, I do think there's still value in meeting these people in real life. And there's so many events and conferences that are slowly coming back after the pandemic. I mean, I first went to them before the pandemic. I went to South by Southwest. Um, TravelCon was a huge one, a great way to meet remote workers because everyone's in the travel industry, which I would start there because people in the travel industry, no remote workplaces, mm -hmm. they might be hiring themselves and they understand the concept. So there's so many travel conferences and events that I would absolutely go to um, if I were looking for a remote job now because you never know. That's how I like ended up meeting Matt again and getting hired was a travel event. Um, I also Although, met Liam at one of those. If, so, If I can jump in here and I'm sorry to interrupt you because yeah. I actually advise people don't look for work and travel because I think A, it's like a very fickle um industry in terms of like if there's ever like a like a recession or whatever yeah or a pandemic like travel always gets hit but the reason why i usually kind of push people back on this is like i feel like it's the low-hanging fruit quote-unquote that everyone thinks is a low-hanging fruit but it's actually not and so everyone tries to start a travel blog or everyone thinks that their dream job is in travel True. uh and it's not you know and it doesn't pay well. I don't mm -hmm. think you should aim to work in travel necessarily. I just think you could network with people who get the mm. remote work concept. And like, for example, I met Liam of Time Doctor at, I think it was South by Southwest is where I met him. And granted, that's not necessarily a travel event, but I met him at Matt's travel event there. And Liam is like a, you know, software company owner. So that's kind of what I mean. Like, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't advise you to work and travel, honestly, because like you said, it is very fickle. And to be honest, it doesn't pay that well. So because people think it is a dream job and there's a time and place for it. I'm glad I did it in my early 20s. It's very fickle. It's also extremely competitive, like yes. uh, low margin. And then everyone thinks that they're going to be a travel blogger. And so like if I had a penny for every time I talked with somebody who was like, my dream job is to have a travel blog. And I was like, line yeah. up like there is yeah. you need to be very, very either lucky or very, very good at what you do. And it doesn't mean that, you know, 
you can't become really good, but it's like, are you okay with putting in three to five years of not seeing a penny until you become good enough to be seen? Like, you know, it's, it's harder than people think it is. It's so hard. And I mean, I'll say that from my own personal experience, when I was first looking for remote jobs, I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, I I knew I was like, I don't want to be a travel blogger. That seems like a lot of work. And there's no way that's going to happen for me, right? Like, so I didn't even understand that I could have a full-time job that would pay me that I could still travel in the meantime with. And now, obviously, I know that's not the case. But, you know, recently with my Instagram and TikTok, where I am talking about travel-related things, and I've seen growth, it's crazy that I've gotten a lot of comments like, wow, you grew overnight. Like, how did you do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, what you don't see is that I tried to start a travel blog in literally 2015. I'd been posting on Instagram since 2014, like trying to grow some kind of travel audience. Meanwhile, I was working for other travel bloggers and learning all of this stuff. So while it might seem like, oh, wow, how did she do this in like a month's time? There was so many years where I made zero money doing anything related to my own travel blog. And now is the first time in the past six months where I've seen any income from it. So it is, it's a very good point. It's a long journey. <laughs> and yeah, I still don't sort- think I want to do that full time. It's sort of like the uh, overnight success that's 10 years in the making, right? Is like, yes, there's like overnight successes, but show me show me what they were doing the last 10 years like it's very few people that like just pop on the scene and and hit it usually there's like a lot of like in the dark quiet work that's been happening so yeah exactly so let's chat i mean i want to be respectful of your time and i know that we're we're running short here on time but like you said you've been doing a lot of travel and i have to ask you what are your biggest and best tips for travel, for people who are working remotely, who want to, you know, kind of find that balance of working remotely, but also traveling, like, what would be your tips and advice for the travel side of that? Ooh, okay. So in terms of, in terms of like travel in general, I mean, I, I think that one, this is always my go-to tip and I'm sure it's everyone else's go-to tip, but just being able to kind of look past, you know, where you think you want to go and look to where the, the uh, I don't know, where the opportunity to go is. And the way I do that is honestly just exploring Skyscanner and Google Flights and seeing where the cheap flights are and picking a destination based on that and not like my preconceived notions about where I want to go if my goal is to save money, right? Um, And I think that there's so, so many ways to travel cheaply, still living very well, if you open your mind to those, all of those possibilities that exist. Um, And then my second tip too, is to also slow down. If you are working remotely, and you know, you want to see the world at the same time, there's, you know, there's really no rush, and you're going to have a much more productive And I think exciting experience, if you slow it down, stay in a place for minimum two weeks at a time, I think. I've done the fast thing and I just don't recommend it. Um, And I think you just, you're going to have such richer experiences, richer cultural experiences too, if you're really getting to know a place. Like I know you guys spent so much time in Mexico and I'm so jealous of that because I haven't been back to Mexico since I was 16 years old, firstly, which is crazy. 
But I also feel like you guys have like a community there now. You know where you're going. You know what to do when you go there. Like you can't, I can't say that of the places I spent three days in, you know, it's Mm. cool that I've been there, but it doesn't really do much for me in the long run. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that where like for me, what's always been interesting isn't so much the travel. Like I hate doing touristy stuff. I just, I would never fly across an ocean or anywhere and then go hit up like there's nothing wrong with museums. There's always a place to them, but I just, I, it doesn't, it's not my thing. Like I remember cultural experience. Like, yeah. I remember I went to one of the first times I went to Paris was with my parents and some family and uh and my aunts and uncles and like uh some my cousins and they were all like they'd been there before and they're like we need to go to the eiffel tower and i was like i do not want to go to the eiffel tower like stand in line like climb this thing that just sounds so terrible to me and they were like no you like that's what you do in paris like you have to go and my dad i think him and i have like a very similar personality he was like how about you and i go get a beer or like a coffee and then like look at the eiffel tower and i was like yes you and i are doing that you guys can go like climb the, some stairs. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. You can see it from right. a place where you're also surrounded by locals and really experiencing the culture. And right. yeah, you don't need to go. I mean, I did go up to the top of the Eiffel Tower, but I remember sitting in the cafes looking at the Eiffel Tower much more than I remember the view. <laughs> yeah. And it's like for me, what's really exciting when you do slow down is you get to have more of the expat experience as opposed to like the tourist experience. And to me, that it really is like where you get the richer, like you, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you kind of have more of that. Um, like I love the idea of bringing a friend someday to a city that I've spent some time in and being able to say, like, oh, I know where the best tacos are because I've spent three months here. Don't yeah. go here. I know the place, right? Or like, I know the best like bar, or like this, there's this really cute hidden place that you would notice. I'm like, that's what I really love. And you need to spend time in a place to really find that. So I totally agree with exactly. you. I have like a quick story about that too. That kind of plays into what we were just talking about. The first time I visited Paris was for two days and I absolutely hated it. I was like, I'm never returning here. I did all of the touristy things. It was during my study abroad and I just hated it. I was like, I'm. Yeah. why do people like this place? And then an opportunity came up. Honestly, it was a cheap flight, an opportunity like I was talking about to go to Paris. And I had had a remote job at this point. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it another chance. I'm going to go live and work in Paris for a month because this flight is $200. So why not? So I spent the next two months working from Paris. It is now one of my favorite cities because like you said, now I know where to go. I know where to show a friend around. Like I've experienced the actual culture of the place and I I love it now. So low travel all the way. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it's just so much better. I had a similar experience in, in Rome where I hated it. And it was like, just because I was there for a day and it was just, mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm, you know, everyone says it's like an amazing city. So I totally you gotta agree. Go back. You got to go back. Yeah, it, I definitely have to. Um, well, Ramey, this has been uh, a ton of fun. Thank you so much for, for coming by the podcast, uh, and, and sharing your knowledge. Let people know where can they learn more about you? Obviously, like you said, you're on TikTok and Instagram. Where can they, you know, go and follow you and check out your content over there? Yeah. So I am Ramey Travels on TikTok. So that's with an S at the end of travels. And then on Instagram, I'm Ramey Travel because Ramey Travels was taken. So (laughs) 
same thing. If you search it, you'll find it. And then I do still have a blog that is pretty old, but you might find some tips on there. I have more about my remote work journey. I have some links about where to find remote jobs that have worked for me. And my blog is at doitallabroad.com. Perfect. Well, Ramey, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, This is a ton of fun. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. 